Welcome to New Spring Church. We pray this message has inspired you to live a great life. For more information about our story, go to newspring.org.au. So change is something that we're all quite familiar with. I can see and I'm quite grateful for um, the fact that it appears that at least for the most part, um, everyone here has changed their clothes this morning. Otherwise, this would be one really awkward pyjama party right now, wouldn't it? And that would be kind of weird. Um, I regularly, being the mechanical man that I am, um, I regularly pay someone else to actually change my oil because it was left up to me. Man, that sucker would just blow up or something. I have very little difficulty when I'm at a restaurant and, and the waitress comes or the waiter comes and says, what would you like? Um, I might say, you know what, I'd like this, but I have absolutely no hesitation in changing my mind and say, actually, I want to have this. Change seems to be something that's quite inherent in our life and something that we do on a really regular basis, but I don't know about you, I find it really difficult sometimes in my own stubborn way to change my mind. Is anyone married to someone who doesn't find it easy to change their mind? Yeah. <laughs> change is difficult, change is hard. Um, <laughs> There is one change in our mind which I want to talk about today and I actually want to follow through in the next couple of weeks. And this one change has the potential to change absolutely everything else in our life. One change can change everything else. It seems to be a simple change, but it's a really hard change um, because so often it's kind of just so engrafted and so embedded. It's, so, it's like this indelible mark that we can't seem to smudge or, or to erase. And that one change is a change of attitude. Ever met someone who's got like a really, really bad, stinking attitude? You know? Have you ever been able to like sort of put your finger on me and say, why are you like, you're obviously intelligent, you've got a skill set, and I'm not talking about anything of like that. On paper, you look like you're just like perfect and all that, but when I see you go about your business, I can actually just see that, man, there's something about your attitude. And I want to just spend some time actually talking about that my attitude, but in speaking about my attitude, we're going to be talking about your attitude as well. How about that? Are you okay with that? Here we are. Your attitude, my attitude, this is the main point. This is the big idea. Our attitude is our window to the world. Our attitude is the window to the world. You know, one football coach said, ability is what you're capable of doing. Motivation determines what you do, but attitude determines how well the way that we see things. You know, I remember the very first time um, I saw the hills outside in the church. Do you guys know that we have like great hills out there? You know, I remember the first time I actually saw the hills, right? It wasn't on um, the first day I was employed here. It wasn't the first day. It actually took um, a lot of months. That might surprise you. But here's the thing with me. I wear glasses, and for some reason, ever since I can remember, I started wearing glasses when I was in year three, so from the age of seven, 38 now. So um, I've always had this kind of habit of finally going to the optometrist probably about six months, eight months, maybe a year after um, when I should have gone to the, to the optometrist. Um, I, I may not, you may not know it, but I'm actually um, pretty blind. If I take my glasses off, it's like I can't see anything. The good thing is... Andrea is about as blind as me, so when we both don't have our glasses on, it's like, 
the rider household's like a circus. <laughs> Especially it's like, oh, babe, where's my glasses? I have no idea where my glasses are on. So I put on her glasses because about the same way I find my glasses. It's weird. Crazy, you guys have crazy pastors. But um, what happens is that if I go um, too long without actually getting a, a, a new set of glasses, I have this film on my lens and it starts getting scratched up then it starts getting like kind of fogged up and and it's like this smear and and then obviously uh, my eyes deteriorate so I need a new prescription so when I first started here in 2012 I knew we had hills out there but I couldn't actually really see them until the day I got brand new glasses and like I remember I had these glasses on I walked in didn't think anything of it come to the end of the day and I walk out and for some reason I looked up and I just stood still for about, seriously, it must have, I was just like looking at the hills for about five minutes. And I was like, I had no idea how beautiful they were. Because it wasn't like this kind of like green smudge anymore. I could actually, there's actually trees up there and there's actually a road. And it's actually, like, that's actually really beautiful. You see, I wasn't able to see it before, but it all came down to what I was actually able to see through. And that, in a similar way, is what attitude actually does for, for us. You know, we may understand that um, we have eyes, but we actually don't see with our eyes. We actually see with our brain, don't we? But what we see is actually interpreted by our attitude, whatever it is. Whatever situation, whatever circumstance, whatever neighbor, whatever spouse, whatever thing, whatever we see, whatever we experience, we're actually seeing something, we're seeing some behavior and all that. But all of that stuff gets interpreted by our attitude. And it's for that reason that actually thinking about our attitude and actually working on our attitude is actually really important. And um, we all have this thing which we need to do. If you think about it, um, when we're young, generally speaking, um, our attitude kind of looks a little bit like this. I've got a picture up here, uh, which Jacinta's about to put up. Um, there we go. That is a picture of a windscreen, okay? Everyone's looked through a windscreen, okay? Now, generally speaking, when we are young, we, we, we have this attitude that we're able to look through, and it's generally pretty clear, isn't it? It, you'd hope it's pretty clean. You know, you can actually see through it. I mean, I've never seen, like, uh, even with our own children as they were begin, beginning to walk, um, when Jackson or Kayla kind of fell to the ground, I didn't see them actually start pointing to the floor and blaming the floor because they started to fall. I didn't, like, sort of see them as they were, like, falling to the floor, just trying to walk. They, they looked at mum and dad and said, it's your fault that I can't walk. And, you, you know, I didn't see that. What they did is that they actually, stumbling around, they fall over, they get back up, and they just keep trying and trying and trying again right? It seems that we kind of start off like that. But what happens is that as we get a little bit older and we get more experience with life and all that, we kind of get this other windscreen which kind of appears in our life and it looks a little bit more like that, okay? And if your windscreen does look like that right now, this is maybe, this could, this could be the Lord just speaking to you right now. Go and clean your windscreen for crying out loud. But what happens is that as we go through life and we, we start to experience and encounter other people and they start to throw mud, on our windscreen, don't they? There's criticism that starts to happen. There's disappointments that start to happen. It's not like if you fall over and you fail, you think, oh, I just failed at something. I'm just going to get up and try again. No, all of a sudden, we are looking through a different filter. We are looking through a different windscreen. And that windscreen is our attitude. And regarding, it depends on how clean that windscreen is. 
It depends on how clean that attitude is as to how we're going to see and how we're going to interpret life with us. Do you understand that? So our attitude is the way that we think or we feel about people, about life, about God. And here's a big one, how we honestly think and feel about ourselves. You know, there was this um, noted architect uh, who was English, and his name was Sir Christopher Wren, and he was supervising the construction of this amazing cathedral in um, London. A journalist um, thought it would be interesting to interview some of the workers. So um, he chose three, three of these workers, and he asked a question, and the question was simply this, what are you doing? The first one replied, I'm cutting stone for 10 shillings a day. The next one answered and said, I'm putting in 10 hours a day on this job. But the third one said to this journalist, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren construct one of London's greatest cathedrals. You see, your attitude determines how you interpret what's happening in your world. And if you're feeling like, man, my life sucks at the moment and all that, you know what? We cannot necessarily control everything that happens to us. But one thing that we can have a big say in is the filter, is the windscreen, is the attitude through which we see the world. And for that reason, we're talking about our attitude. Attitude. Man, that girl's just got attitude. But have you ever met someone who's got a fantastic attitude? They're great. You know, it's like, my goodness. (laughs) I remember... um, Two, two really special people to me who've been part of our church, um, they passed away. And um, one was um, Phil Sintek and the other was Les Wooldridge. And um, they both um, passed away of cancer. And um, uh, I got the privilege of like, walking with them. I remember Phil, Phil Zintek, I was like in, in a hospital and he'd been put in remission and, and the cancer came back so aggressively and, and we're over there and facing this this news which is just so dire and um the thing that blew me away was his attitude he looked at me and he said dave talking about we were talking about dying and um he looked at me and he said dave i've never done this before i said i've never done this before either (laughs) i said i have no idea what you're going through but what i will do i'll try to stay as close as possible but it was his attitude last year um Around this time, actually, Les passed away, and uh, we were up at Fiona Stanley, and, and um, we were visiting him. I was visiting him, for, like, just day after day for a while, and, and <laughs> you know, I had to go and, like, um, I always went prepared that I, he loves his wolves, like, football, soccer. So I made sure I, I, I knew who won. I wouldn't have a clue now. I don't even know who the wolves are anymore. Um, but every single time I went there, sit, talk, and, like, we pray and, and, and look and all that sort of stuff, and he'd always turn to me and says, well, Dave, it could be worse. <laughs> it's like, who is this guy facing this giant which he has no control of, which is actually getting closer and closer and closer, yet the way he saw it was so phenomenal. His attitude was just, like, I was just thinking, Les, your windscreen must be absolutely polished right now. It, there wouldn't even be a speck. I mean, like, there wouldn't even be, like, I reckon birds coming and doing their stuff on your windscreen wouldn't even come near you. It must be absolutely clean. Attitude is really, really important. And, you know, whilst um, attitude 
It's our window to the world. It's the way we see the world. Our attitude is seen from afar by other people. Attitude is actually really important to God. It really is. Um, There's a story that is set as an example for us. Um, as we live in this New Testament time. And, and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul speaking, and, and, he reads, and he writes from verse 1, he says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they passed through the sea. So he's talking about the time when God delivered Israel from Egypt. You know, they were led by a pillar of cloud, and they all passed through the sea. That's the parting of the Red Sea. So that's, this is the story he's talking about. So they were baptized into Moses into the cloud and the sea. They were all of the same, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from um, the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Get this, verse 6. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So Paul's writing and he's saying, you know what? What actually happened to these guys thousands of years ago and the way they lived, the way they responded? I'm just going to make a note right here to say these guys are actually put forward as an example as to how we're supposed to live under Christ. So just an example. And he's not the only ones. You know, the writer of the book of Psalms in, in Psalm 95, he writes, you know, for 40 years I was angry with that generation, God says. They are people whose hearts go astray. They, they, they did not know me, so I declared in my anger they shall not enter my rest. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18, the writer also says, And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So these couple of million people who got delivered so radically, so marvelously, they're actually put up as a portrait, not just in the Old Testament, but also in the Psalms and also in the New Testament as an example for us today. And you may be wondering, what is it that seemed to get God so agitated with them? I mean, seriously, I mean, what were, they, what were they on about? I mean, like, seriously, what is this, like, ratty, like, group of people? What? I thought God, like, he did some amazing things through them. Well, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 26, it actually tells us. And it's this conversation that God has with Moses. And he says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard their complaints of these grumbling Israelites, bunch of grumblers, you know? I don't think anyone would dispute that Israel had been rescued miraculously. You know, I don't think anyone would ever disagree with that. I mean, that's like ridiculous. I don't think that anyone would ever accuse Moses of, of not being God's chosen leader, right? I mean, uh, where, where in history have you read about this guy who actually rocks up to the superpower of the day, to the leader of the superpower of the day, and actually makes the, su- the leader of the superpower of the day bow his knee with a stick? That doesn't happen, you know? <laughs> I don't see wars ending this day with a stick. We've got bombs and all that kind of stuff. Hundreds of years of prayer going, God actually answers this. You know, God was happy to rescue them. God was happy to raise up a leader and to send them. God was happy to provide for them. But God took exception to their bad attitude. They're grumbling. How long do I have to put up with these grumblers? How long do I have to put up with this constant whining and complaining? 
How long, he says, will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling. Notice he says grumbling twice. Grumbling twice. God seemed to take exception to the attitude. Fast forward to the New Testament, and it seems that attitude seems to be quite important to God. Philippians 2 verse 14 and 16 says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, another translation says grumbling and complaining, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firm to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Isn't it amazing that God actually equates grumbling and complaining? He actually, complain, he actually equates attitude with living pure in this world, you know? <laughs> Our understanding of purity is a little bit different, isn't it? You know? I mean, I want to be pure in this world. Why, well, are you a grumbler? Truth be told, I'm a bit of a whinger myself. <laughs> One of the unfortunate things, or fortunate things about having this job is that as you go to Scripture and you seek God about things, God actually starts speaking to you before he starts speaking to the church. So if anything's pricking you at the moment, don't worry, I've been pricked many times. <laughs> Here's the deal which I experience, okay? Um, contemporary culture tells me it's okay to grumble and complain. In fact, in some ways, we kind of celebrate it, don't we? Grumble and complain, you know? I reckon the best way to have a really fulfilling conversation is to sit with someone and start complaining about someone you're both like, you know, just grumble, and especially in the church. We love doing it in the church, you know? And like, I, I, I know, I've been in the church all my life, and you, and you poke fingers at the church and all that because the church is one place that is supposed to do a job and it'll never do it properly because it's full of people, you know? So it's, <laughs> we're never going to actually... Um, do it. I, actually, I just keep telling myself, it's just job security, Dave. Just don't worry about it. <laughs> you know? But, you know, you sit around or you go somewhere and, and um, the amount of stories, like, and, and even on, like, um, this week I had a meeting with one of the guys from the head office and um, same old stories coming through about other churches and all that, like people going and, and grumbling and complaining. But you know what? Scripture would actually say that God takes exception to that. And that pricks me. That actually goes, Really? That's not right. But he does. But it says, these things occurred as an example to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. But here's the good news that I would like to inform myself of, but also extend to you. That you and I do not have to have a dirty windscreen. And let's be honest, some of our windscreens might have had a dirty mark in there for the last 20 years. But scripture will say that you actually don't need to have a dirty windscreen. That it is possible, and not only just possible, possible, it's actually a responsibility that each and every one of us would actually clean our windscreen. Because our attitude, a windscreen is the thing that we see through. Our attitude is the one thing that interprets what is happening in our life. Philippians chapter 2. I said turn there um, ages ago. We're finally going to get there. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, says this. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read the same verse out of the New King James Version. I'm going to make a comment. Philippians 2, verse 5, out of the New King James Version 
says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. NASB says, Have this attitude in yourself. Philippians 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, I'd encourage all of us, firstly, like, read Scripture, okay? But if you start becoming very familiar with one translation... Start reading another translation because this is a case in point where one of these translations is actually using the wrong tense and actually giving a wrong understanding of what Paul is actually saying here. Philippians, NASB says, have this attitude. The New King James says, let this mind. What happens in the New King James Version is that it's using this passive tense. Let this mind be in you. You know, just let it happen, you know? Just let it happen. We all understand what happens if you just, like, stand by and let things happen. If you don't, come to my house and look at my lawn. And you will see what happens when you just let things happen. It is a bunch of weeds. There is, like, all sorts of stuff. The dog, like, digging it up. And so. If you just let things happen, if you're passive, you're going to get weeds, you know? You know, if you've got a boulder... And you know, that boulder needs to get to the top of the hill. Just let it happen. It'll get to the top all by itself. It's just going to happen, right? You know, <laughs> fish swimming upstream. Oh, just don't worry about it. You know, just like go with the flow and you know what, you'll, you'll actually, no, that doesn't make sense, does it? The New King James is using the wrong tense. It's not a passive tense that Paul is speaking with in the original language here. He is using an active tense. It's an active tense. The original language is not passive in any sense. It is active. And this is what a more thorough translation would actually say. It says, you have to think this attitude into you. You can't let it happen because it's not going to happen. You have to be active and you need to think it into you. In fact, it goes a little bit further and that might, it might actually surprise us. And it says... Think this attitude in you, which Jesus thought into him. That's very different to let the mind of Christ just go. No, no, no. There is this active thing. When he's talking about attitude, you're talking about having this redemptive attitude, having a gospel attitude, having a kingdom of God attitude, having an attitude that there is any sense close to the attitude of Jesus. Paul's saying, this ain't just going to happen by accident. You're just not going to trip into it or, or just accidentally fall into it. This is something that you and I are going to actively have to do. Okay? Actively have to do. Because our brain is set with default settings... And the brain creates habits, which are basically ways of the brain functioning without using too much energy and effort. The brain is actually very lazy. It was very, left to its own devices, your brain and my brain is quite lazy. In some sense, if we're left to our own devices and we just let things happen, we become mindless. Because we are just like set up to actually just go with the flow. Think this in you, which Christ, which Jesus thought in him. Which 
is kind of cool in one way because it lets me understand and know that if I can acknowledge that there are certain attitudes inside of my heart, if, if I see the world in a certain way, if I see people in a certain way, or if I see uh, um, my workplace, or if, if I see things and there seems to be a contradiction between how I'm seeing things, how I'm interpreting things as to what the, the gospel would actually say of me, it, and if I'm feeling things which seem to be a contradiction to, to, to what the gospel is saying to me, it actually lets me know that that attitude can be changed, that feeling can be changed, but it's going to be imperative that I clean my window. Anyone need to clean their window this morning? Man, I need to clean mine. I need to clean mine. And this is a reason, Paul goes on and he says, this is a really important reason why it's important that we clean our window, that we think this attitude into ourselves, that we don't just let it happen. And the thing is this, it says this, attitude always proceeds action. Attitude always proceeds action. And what's really cool is that Paul is setting Jesus up as the example. So from verse 6 says, Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So Jesus is set up as the example for us. Hypostatic union, which is a theological term, which we talk about the incarnation, Jesus Christ, which basically means this. Jesus, at one time, was fully God and fully human at the same time. Okay? So Jesus doesn't get a pass ticket. He doesn't get a pass at this thing called life. He had to live in this world how you live in this world and how I live in this world. Hebrews 4 says that we have this high priest who's Jesus who um, cannot sympathize, uh, who can sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things yet without sin. So this is what Paul is actually saying, that Jesus is our example and all of the redemptive acts, everything that Jesus did, in his life, in his ministry, while he's walking this earth. Think about it. Things like healing the sick, going and having dinner with, with people who are considered thieves and criminals and the scum of the earth, you know, raising the dead, teaching, touching lepers, confronting religious attitudes, feeding the poor, calling people in the community like his death and resurrection and so much more. Paul's saying all of these redemptive actions happened because of Jesus' attitude. Every single action that you see in the gospel of Jesus going out doing this, going out saying this, going out sitting here, happened because he had a certain attitude. And Paul's saying that same attitude is what we need to aspire and really try to think into our own life. In other words, if we really want to walk like Jesus in this world, if we want to be the church that actually expresses the gospel in this world, if I want to like, like live out this life and be like, if I want to see some amazing things happen with God working in and through my life, I could try to work it up with my actions, but ultimately I'm going to get exhausted because they're not genuine. He's saying the way that we are going to act appropriately or act in a gospel way is with our thinking, with our attitude, by cleaning that windscreen. Have you ever tried to do something and it's not you? And it gets so exhausting, doesn't it? I reckon I could trick people. Maybe when I was young. Oh, I thought I could. I don't think I can now. I thought I could probably like, sort of fool people for six to 12 months. 
But after that, people start to actually see the real you, don't they? They do. It's very hard to hide the true you. But what is much more easier is to actually get to the core. And if we can actually change our attitudes, then the way that we talk, the way that we act, there will be corresponding, redemptive, kingdom action. That's what Paul's saying here. That's what he's saying here. Action precedes, um, attitude precedes action, which means we need to clean our windscreen. Um, And this is actually the second time in this chapter that Paul puts his template up. The first time, it actually happens from verse 1. I'm just going to read it out. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. He does the same thing. He talks about attitude, then he talks about action. What's he talking about? He says, attitude, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. He's talking about attitude. And after he talks about attitude, he says, now this corresponding action should be coming out of that attitude. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not look into your own interests, but the interests of others. Attitude precedes action. That's what he's saying. And if you and I, if we endeavor to live in this world, bringing about the kingdom of God, if as we look through Scripture, we understand that, you know, I'm not a problem in this world, I'm actually part of the solution, that God has actually given me the unique privilege of bringing about new creation in this world, that as I go, as I walk, as I step into places and situations and circumstances, there is an opportunity for thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we have that mindset, if we have that, like, that aspiration, then we simply have to clean our own windscreen. We simply have to look at our attitude, how we are interpreting, how this world is being filtered. And if you're anything like me, you might have a good hard look at that windscreen and you might actually start to notice, I've had this big glaring smudge that has been there for over five years now and I need to start washing that. I need to start cleaning that. I need to start thinking the attitude of Christ into my life. You get that? So your attitude is the window to the world. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to close shop soon. Your attitude is the window to the world. Next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking a little bit more about attitude. And I think that this is a journey that for all of us to equally participate in. Because we can't necessarily control everything that happens to us. We can't control the remarks that people say about us. We can't control what people think about us. But one thing that we are asked emphatically through Holy Scripture to do 
is to look at our own attitude, to look at our own window, and to be intent, to be active, do not be passive, but to be active in cleaning our window, cleaning our attitude, thinking the mind of Christ, thinking the attitude of Christ into our very being. And Scripture will say that as we do that, the corresponding actions that follow, we will be amazed to see how God's Spirit works in and through our life to bring about healing, to bring about mending, to bring about salvation, to bring about healing. Everything that we read that Jesus did in His ministry are the things that God asked that we would participate in. And it all starts with our attitude. Cleaning the window up. You cool with that? Let's pray.